The Football Pod on OTB Sports. Do you still listen to the Football Pod or is that like texting your ex? Absolutely. As I often said, I'm jealous that uh, I don't know who's so good, the little whore. <laughs> the Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. Gaelic football on off the ball with AIB proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship check out hashtag the toughest for more yeah welcome back it's Richie here with you of course on the way this weekend we have all Ireland football quarter final weekend and I guess the standard fixture amongst those comes at 4pm on Sunday at Crow Park when Kerry will lock horns uh, with Mayo and we're not necessarily going to preview it right now, but what we're going to do right now is go back, way back, back into time, as Jimmy Castor once said, when Milky Chance was riding high in the Irish charts uh, for a second week with Stolen Chance. <laughs> and also, uh, we had The Inbetweeners 2 as the biggest movie in the universe. And Owen Sheehan was limbering up for Electric Picnic. We are looking back on the magnificent uh, double-edged semi-final that was Kerry and Mayo back in 2014. Uh, joining us in studio to do that is Angry producer Michael McCarthy. Welcome back, Mick. Thank you, Richie. And uh, one man, as I mentioned, who was limbering up for events in Strabali, getting ready to see outcasts, I presume, that weekend. Uh, one Mr. Owen Sheehan, who was no doubt decked in green and gold uh, down in the fields of County Leash. Owen, you're very welcome to the evening portion uh, of Off the Ball. Thanks very much. God, 2014 sounds terrible from your description there. I, we were, I, was, I just went, uh, did that regular thing of going, what was number one? And of course, the charts are meaningless by 2014. Like, they're absolutely no reflection <laughs> of anything whatsoever. And I played the intro to Milky Chance's Stolen Chance here, and both of us in the studio are 100% coming up a blank. Now, I was probably away from popular music at the time. I know I was just working here a lot. Mm. Uh, Mick was probably the same. Uh, you were entrenched in the show at the time. Yeah. And uh, Owen, you were you, the popular you are one link to, to popular oh, culture okay. at that stage. Oh, that was that was definitely a very big song at that time. That's That definitely brings back college vibes, that song. I'm not saying it's good or anything, but it just brings back shame and uh, <laughs> memories of like eight to ten years ago. This is the thing. When we were looking, when this was, put to me earlier on um, today as a piece that we were going to do on the show like you kind of think back to 2014 and you think it's like oh it's like that's really recent and it's only going back it's like it's really long ago now it's like it's that, that's eight years and I know culture and life has kind of in terms of its progress and its evolution has kind of slowed down a lot over the course of the last 20 years but it does seem like already like we were looking at the footage of the, the coverage essentially because both games are on YouTube if you want to look back on them of, these, of this 2014 semi-final different world like Michael Lester is still reigning supreme in the RTE studio for the panels uh, one Mr Jay Brolly is in the studio as well holding court alongside uh, Colm O'Rourke the idea of uh, Hawkeye as we see for Andy Moran's point late in the first game is a really like still seems like a really new thing it's like Hawkeye yeah. 2014 what the hell Actually, you say how long ago 2014 is, Owen, I don't know if you had the same reaction when you went to look at it today, but when they when Michael Lester introduced the panel, they go, oh, Michael Lester, yeah, he would have been on around that time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and Colin O'Rourke and Joe Brawley, you're like, yeah, and it goes, and now former Galway manager, Alan Mulholland. And I was like, Alan Mulholland? I was like, <laughs> I was like Alan Mulholland? I, no offence Alan Mulholland, but I'd forgotten he existed. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> we feel like, it just feels like a long time ago. feels like we've had seven or eight Galway manager since that time and uh, you know I'm sure we haven't it's close on it Mick let's be honest exactly. yeah yeah he came, he came up actually we had Kevin Welsh on the show earlier this week and uh, I was looking through his Wikipedia and Alan Mulholland came on my uh, radar as well so he's come up twice for both of us in one week which is extraordinary but I, I'm not sure 
did you guys pick up on this? The game sort of feels different. Like, I know yeah. that obviously we're post Jimmy Guinness and the defensive systems and, I guess, ingenuity on that front had come in. But it feels like even just the attempts at score taking were vastly different to what we're used to now. And I think what happened the week after that game, Donegal beating Dublin, sorry, the same weekend as that game, yeah. I think that was a significant moment in, in, in how attacking changed. I still think we were in this sort of, not naive, but the, this sort of uh, unplanned, uh, off-the-hook sort of attacking. I think that's what this Mayo-Kerry game definitely displayed. And I don't think you would see anything like that if you watched the 2019 match between these teams. Yeah, like it, what stands out from the game itself and... Um it's just how blood and thunder especially that first game is but like you mentioned there like Dublin Donegal coming away from this weekend of this of this weekend of semi-finals essentially back in 2014 like did, that should be in a historical sense the thing that we're talking about because that Dublin team was obviously in the height of it um, Donegal had you know recently won in All-Ireland but you know weren't essentially one was thought at the time the level they were when they did win that All-Ireland and yet they beat Dublin in a semi-final but the main story everything that comes back to is that semi-final between Kerry and Mayo because the football that we got because in both games particularly was, yeah. the first the first game was just phenomenal Mick yeah see I think that it's actually just to lay out what it was for, for, for people who don't like automatically remember it was it was back in the era of four All-Ireland semi-final weekends between the football and the hurling the good old days of a long a long championship <laughs> summer uh, that's actually long gone now so we had the first week was the Sunday in Crow Park Kerry versus Mayo the second week was going to be Donegal versus Dublin in Crow Park and the following week would be the hurling final and so on so what we have obviously was a Sunday and then Saturday in Limerick because of the American football game which we'll talk about in a few minutes so uh, you know that that's kind of what's laying it out so, but both of the the first game, I think, just trilled the nation, and I feel like we had been missing it in as a in Gaelic football for so long. You think about the twenty thirteen All Ireland final, Kerry Mayo wasn't great. You'd had that Jim McGuinness era in Donegal that I think was probably more appreciated in retrospect than it was at the time. Maybe around the twelve, 12 final people were starting to kind of like that Donegal team. But I think what we needed was a hell for leather game. But if you look at the scoreline in that first game, it wasn't ridiculously high scoring. I don't I don't have it in front of me. What was it, 118 to 1, 118 apiece or something like yeah, that? Maybe 116 apiece. 116 apiece, exactly. You know, it was a, a reasonably scored game. But it was just the pace that it was played at and the abandon. And, you know, it just felt like it just felt like a game that was just played on a completely different level to what we'd seen in the past. And actually... If you look back on it today, I was almost disappointed. It was only the second half that was that good. The first half was actually quite turgid. Yeah, the feeling each other out a little bit. That happens in semi-finals. And then the second game was equally as close and equally as exciting and had more goals and probably had more incidents. But I don't think the overall 70 or 90 minutes as it was because it went to extra time was actually as good. Yeah. Um, Leading into the final itself, like Mayo's approach, I'm not going to say they blew hot and cold, but they certainly blew hot and lukewarm I think you could say because they breezed past New York as you might imagine in the quarterfinals of Connacht they only beat Roscommon by a point in the semi-finals and then uh, were too good for Galway and then on to a game of Cork which they which they won um, not necessarily by the scoreline that a lot of people might have thought back then but uh, Owen what was where was Kerry in 2014 from, from your memory? They were not in a great place going into the championship I remember the feeling going to Parky Cueve in the Munster final was that 
Corker favourites and Kerry would be would be doing very very well to win that game as it turned out they hammered Cork that day Declan O'Sullivan was absolutely sensational the whole mood music around that season was Colin Cooper doing his cruise sheet and being out for the season so Declan took, went in at 11 Gooch was there the previous year and all of a sudden it was like right okay this this full forward line is is pretty handy like you get to that once you're fine you beat Cork well and all of a sudden the season's on the All-Ireland's on and when you get Mayo in an All-Ireland semi-final even though Mayo were going well at that point you still think to yourself, well, they haven't beaten Kerry since 1996. Kerry always beat Mayo. And I think that first game in 2014 was the first time I ever remember, because I don't really remember 96, was the first time I ever remember Mayo being able to to beat Kerry, to be able to be better than Kerry. And eventually they did get the job done in 2017. But they wouldn't have got the job done, Kerry, that is, in 2014, if it wasn't for Kieran Donaghy and that incredible storyline coming off the bench in, in the drawn game and, and starting the second game. That was the key component for Kerry, a man who thought he wasn't going to play for Kerry ever again midway through that season. Mm. We'll get to Donaghy in a moment because obviously he had a, a game-changing influence once he was introduced in that first game at Crow Park. But I guess James O'Donoghue was obviously the, the star of the show for, for Kerry that season and indeed on the day. Uh, here's what Joe Brawley had to say about the co-host of the football pod. Well, I mean, he's critical to Kerry. The game, Kerry's game plan is based around O'Donoghue. You know, the other forwards rotate away from him, and as Alan will tell you, you know, the whole purpose is to try and create space for him in and around that 21-yard line area where he then terrorises the opposition. He's like the Lewis Suarez of Gaelic football, I suppose, without the without the taste for human flesh. There's confirmation uh, with the team, by the way. <laughs> the very Joe Brawley line uh, there has to be said another reminder of the time as uh, well, exactly the, the, mid-World Cup you yeah. know? well after the World Cup obviously with, uh, <laughs> with Suarez uh, serving in suspension uh, kind of injury really did nibble into James O'Donoghue's I don't want to say latter career because he had to retire quite early obviously um, but at that stage like genuine force and nature on in that carry full forward line have we lost down? yeah wasn't it because over the next little while. Um, so yeah, just say the, the end of the, the James Dunhill peak, it felt because because it was things that we weren't, I guess, expecting at that point. And I guess Kerry were squeezing every last inch out of him. They hadn't won in All-Ireland since 2009. No Gooch meant more responsibility for O'Donoghue. And he was just been explosive, I remember, that spring and throughout 2013 as well. This was just a man on fire. And it, like you look at a game like that back a little bit and it almost makes the, the, the 2018 season, this is going to sound weird, but it makes the 2018 season even kind of more special where you had that one period where O'Donoghue, Donaghy and Clifford were all playing together and just yeah. these all these three people kind of like, almost like ships passing in the night in those Kerry squads that only have one All-Ireland to, to speak of but there, there's something I think that a lot of Kerry people would love about those three players in particular and at least there was one season where they all got to got to exist in a, in a full forward line During the parade before the game Marty Morrissey is listing off the players that Kerry have lost and I'm not even going to remember most of them but it's like uh, Tomas O'Shea uh, I don't know Brosnan there's two or three more and then obviously they lost Gooch to a cruciate for this season and you're thinking when you look at the Kerry lineup, it feels like such a transition season like you know it, it, there's there's four or five players in there that you wouldn't expect to be kind of starting in an All-Ireland semi-final um, but O'Donoghue and when you see the replay, when, when Donaghy is kind of in with Paul Ganey and O'Donoghue, and you're thinking, wow, but that full forward line, mm. you know, and you know, mm. even without Gooch and even a few years before Clifford, that was still such an amazing full forward line. If the, if the rest of them could even just do a job, those lads will win you the game. Yeah, it was, like, yeah. as you mentioned, a team in transition, um, 
Pat's Balan was on the side. He wasn't uh, in the in the box alongside Broly and O'Rourke, obviously, as we mentioned there, but he was on the sideline pre-game uh, alongside Kevin McStay. And this was his view of uh, Kerry going into that first game at Crow Park. The future for Kerry football is very bright. This is a Kerry football team in the senior level. I think Eamon Fosmaris deserves absolutely huge credit because this is a team in transition. This is a team that's being rebuilt. Now, to, to rebuild a team and get them to the last four, to the All-Ireland semi-final stage, is absolutely brilliant because bottom line, he's been he's got the best out of the old guys that are still, still there and their best days are beyond them and yet they're still playing well. He has a lot of very good club footballers, probably not great county players, but he has them playing to the maximum. Tactically, he's been brilliant. He's got the matchups right all year. He's He's had a great, great year. So irrespective, I'll tell you this, irrespective of the result today, it's been a good year for Kerry football. You don't often hear Kerry people talking about it being a great achievement to get to the All-Ireland semi-final, especially not one called Pats Balan. Uh, was there a bit of Yara going on there, Owen? Or was it really a case of Kerry getting to a semi-final? It was probably, you know, if that's as far as they go, then fair play. I think we're having a bit of problems with Owen's line there, yeah. Mick. There was uh, a sense of that, I think, wasn't there? No, that's that's what I like. I I think it is. What's remarkable to me is that we know the future, and Kerry went on to win the All Ireland, and you know it's the last one they've won, and I feel like we've had better teams since then. Now Dublin didn't make it, and that's that's definitely a huge part of it. But they did get through this Mayo team that were you know fourteen, you know. <laughs> I don't know whether this was the end of this particular Mayo team and the one that was a 16 and 17 that's probably their best ever probably was more leaning on the Killian O'Connors and Aidan O'Shea had such a great game uh, this day but I wonder were they like was he the focal point by that couple of years later they had a kind of an off year in 2015 they still made the semi-final of course um, but yeah I don't know really it, it's interesting I would have said that that was actually a realistic thought they were just reacting to a Kerry minor team that I think was one of the ones that was in, that included uh, the, maybe it was the year before Clifford it was when Jack O'Connor was taking over the minors and they won the five in a row mm. and they just watched that game and that's what he was reacting to but the seniors just didn't seem like this was their year it seemed like Eamon Fitzmaurice was starting things off with them and it turned out it was only All-Ireland it's, it, is, it is a funny one really As you mentioned there was a bit of a turgid first half in that first game at Croker um, Kerry were 9-5 ahead at half time and Mayo had seen Lee Keegan sent off two minutes before the break, straight red for him. So what unfolds essentially in the second half, I don't think many people would have seen coming in that first match because Mayo move into such a strong position and look like they're playing really gung-ho, free-flowing football. Uh, watching it back earlier on today, Donny Vaughan in midfield stood out for me because he's usually essentially, and it's a time I think Marty mentions it in, in uh, the preview of the game, he'd essentially associate him playing uh, wing back. Played a brilliant game alongside Shamie O'Shea in midfield and a real driving force behind that side and then you have the forwards being able to take their scores and at one point move into like a five point lead in the second half mm. and it was just looked over, they, looked they, over. They, yeah. they, and that's actually if you're a Mayo fan and it was, maybe this is the reason everything was so I suppose they'd lost two All-Ireland finals in a row at this point but by 2014 that performance maybe from half time until the 60 fifth minute 67, 68 minute was probably the best Mayo ever played this team ever played they were absolutely brilliant uh, you mentioned a few I think Aidan O'Shea led it all like you know he was and, and to hear Joe Brawley and Colin O'Rourke talk about Aidan O'Shea after the game 
it, that talk about going back in time. I, you know, I I feel like I've never it's heard them say a positive word about Aidan O'Shea. You know, but they were talking about it like this guy, like he was the best footballer on the planet. You know, um, so yeah, like, and I I wondered if that kind of like this is as good as we'll ever be, kind of come into some of the mania that we're going to talk about in a few minutes that surrounded the replay and the build-up to the replay. Yeah, oh, and as you mentioned there, a team in transition, Kieran Donaghy wasn't starting. What was the story behind Donaghy that year? Because Tommy Carr, during commentary, mentions that, you know, it's a surprise that he hasn't played more football this year, but there was, you know, concerns essentially around Donaghy and his fitness and his ability to get a full 70 minutes. I think that maybe Donaghy had been seen as... I don't know, was it one-dimensional to Kerry's attack or, or something like that, that the time had passed for Donaghy as the man at the, the end of the Kerry attacks who'd be able to catch the, the long ball and give it off to whoever his corner forwards would be. But I think maybe they kind of woke up to a realisation late in, in that game in 2014 that they needed that. They needed to go direct. They needed to, to try and find something. And that's essentially how they utilised him. Like, I do think there was definitely more of a role for Donaghy that wasn't just the, the long ball into the full forward. And I think maybe he kind of uh, yeah, used that a little bit as, as the, the next couple of seasons actually developed. But I like, my uh, general memory of it all is that Donaghy was about to retire or that yeah. the feeling was that he was on his last legs which is extraordinary because my feeling at the end of 18 was that he could have gone for one more year so <laughs> you're talking about five more years there where and like he's obviously like uh, he would have gone, gone on to play basketball beyond 2018 obviously very very well and, and still does but uh, it's just weird to think that eight years ago we all thought that Donaghy was finished yeah. and I think in his book he says that there was he like was, was in a bit of pain that season I think maybe he was struggling with a few injuries he definitely had to go through the ringer to try and prove himself himself to Fitzmaurice that season that he was in good enough shape to to make a mark for Kerry and I guess he didn't pick him in the start of Mayo it was only really the the impact that he made off the bench when Kerry were in desperate need of something that he actually changed Fitzmaurice's mind somewhat and one basically had three of his best ever games to go on and win the All-Ireland talk about a turning point in a season was him coming <laughs> off the bench like it's actually unbelievable but you know everyone yeah. will remember the goal and they'll remember the, the general impact I think he made in that game they'll remember the goal in the All-Ireland final I meant to say but they'll, they'll remember the general impact that he probably made against Mayo but Richie we were talking earlier uh, on about like th- how good he was for O'Donoghue's goal, which was like the key goal. Th- that was the key score in Kerry winning the All Ireland that year. Was they weren't getting back into the game without a goal, and it was like the perfect full forward play because one he won the ball clean. But there's guys who can do that, you know. But then too, it was like it was the quick thinking and determination and brilliant pass it's to the speed of thought to, combined with the action. Yeah, he just it's just perfect hand pass into O'Donoghue before he's almost hit the ground yeah. and O'Donoghue pop, pops it away and it's a goal and it's back in the game I think Kerry are two down then at that stage yeah. it was just it was like how do you it's one of those goals you think how the hell does anybody have a team that does, and uh, have access to Kieran Donaghy and doesn't pick him in their team he feels the ball uh, close into the square and then in one fluid motion with real intent hands the ball off to an on-rushing James O'Donoghue and like without wanting to go all Andy Gray on it like we were talking about it outside <laughs> He's basically passing the ball and saying, go on, son, you finish that. And O'Donoghue's <laughs> finish is impeccable. And from that point on, you could see Mayo, like to watch the match back, you could see Mayo like shrink. It was like watching a bunch of kids going up against a Kerry team that were swarming and were determined to, to come across that equaliser. But that showed the impact of Donoghue and what was, I guess, lacking up until that point in the Kerry attack in that match on. Yeah, and like, like I wonder, does that kind of speak to some of the things we were talking about earlier on as well in terms of the style of football, that, that attacking play hadn't necessarily got to the level of sophistication, and I use that word very lightly, that, that we see now. Like, even before Donaghy came on, 
there was a ball that Mikey Ganey lobbed into Paul Ganey and was like, go on, have it. Like, because he saw him one-on-one in the full back line. Kerry did the exact same thing in the first minute in the final against Donegal in 2014. Big ball in on top of Paul Ganey, back of the net. Yeah, Mayo did it with Killian O'Connor quite a bit. So it is incongruous that Kieran Donaghy wasn't a central part of a Kerry team that did have long kick passing as part of its plan like because mm. they did it and, and Ganey got himself into a couple of positions uh, the, the James Donahue goal is, is phenomenal it's actually an easier opportunity than the one he misses in whatever it was 50 something minutes 60 something minutes where he goes essentially one on one with Henley and, and blazes it over the bar that was the opportunity for Kerry to put the nail in the coffin and I felt after that that, that the nail was in Kerry's coffin like I, I remember mm. my, my dad texting me at that point being like well at least we have the minors uh, because <laughs> Kerry had beaten Mayo in the minors earlier that day and, and we're going to the All-Ireland final for the first time in a while and it did just look dead and buried and that Donaghy moment came out of nowhere and it could so easily not have happened yeah. and would Kieran Donaghy have retired that winter had Kerry got knocked out that day uh, quite possibly uh, like it's it, there's a sliding doors out of, out of this two game series there's, there's so many different scenarios you can come up with yeah would it, and, 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 and it feels like a second in three years Donegal Mayo All Ireland final would have felt like a very different period in history. Than we, yeah. You know, it's like a, who's to say Donegal would have even won the following week if Mayo had beaten. Well, Kerry, it would you know? seem less like blips in the road for Dublin, more or less, if you want to put it that way. It would it would seem like it was his own separate entity yeah. that we suddenly had this rivalry between these two teams that were fending off your Dublins and your Kerrys the traditional powerhouses and you've got battling against you know the corporation as well even after the goal though there was still like you know like Mayo still had their chances you know I think there was a there was a point of possession me and you were watching this actually like not that long ago where Mayo had the ball under unbelievable pressure from Kerry you have to give so much credit to Kerry they were pressuring every single pass but Mayo kept it and kept it and kept it they must have kept it for two minutes yeah. and in the end it came to was it Vaughan I'm not sure who it came to with a really good chance like a, a you know a 30 metre on the run not to just slightly off off in front of the goals and kicked it wide and I, there was no way back there was definitely no time even though Kerry did end up having two chances and I don't know who had the chance to win it I don't think there was any way back from two points down it was, that point. it was like a perfectly timed um, set list, I guess, in the gig, you want to say, because you want to start off like you're building towards a crescendo at the end when the band walks off and takes everybody's applause and then comes back on for the encore. But there was a sense that this game built and built and built into something of an epic uh, to such a degree that Tommy Carr, who was alongside Marty Morrissey in the commentary booth that day in Crow Park, had an interesting analogy, let's put it that way, for what was unfolding in front of him. But we're getting a chance to get a breath. But Marty, what a half this has been. What a game of football. It's nearly as exciting as a game of hurling. But this game this afternoon, the displays of courage. Nearly as exciting as a game of hurling. That would be enough in itself. That would be enough in itself. Marty doubles down in injury time on Tom Carr's assertion. James O'Donoghue gathers it. Right man, right place from Gary. He's going to pull the trigger. He's going to score. No, he's not. It's gone off the post and wide. See, even the anti-football brigade were out in 2014 saying, ah, Hurland's way better. Miles better. Even when we're commentating <laughs> one of the great games of the century. And uh, little did they know what was to come that year in the All-Ireland Hurling final. Yeah, well. absolutely. So, uh, yeah, the, yeah, I, was, I was trying to think of that actually, Owen. It was like, I was actually saying to him, 
Oh yeah, well it was after Kilkenny Tip, but it wasn't. It was before or that. That it was a weird quirk in scoring game of all time. I was trying to think what had actually come before. Like, I don't even really remember. I think I think Tip and Galway had played in a, in a semi final, but I don't think it was anything like remarkable or anything. But look, I have to say, look, I you know, I'd be the resident hurling hurling uh, snob, snob yeah. I suppose. Yeah, and I remember that live so well. I remember watching that game and being so on the edge of how brilliant this was that as a neutral, I'm standing up in front of the television at like 69 and a half minutes gone or whatever point. And I remember Tommy Carr saying that and thinking it was disgraceful. I remember thinking like, how could you possibly take this moment to say that, you know, well, like, I mean, we have this really exciting sport. This was so good, it's almost as good as it, you know? It's like <laughs> yeah. you're, you're a football commentator on RTE here. Like, you know, and I didn't even know that Marty had said it later on. I didn't even remember that. Oh, and you weren't a neutral watching on. What were your nerves like towards the last kind of uh, unfolding couple of minutes? Oh, I just agony, Richie. I, I was in I was in the off-the-ball office. I missed both of these Mayo games, as it turned out. I was at every other game and I missed both of the Mayo games. There were only two that people talk about. I think there's every chance we were watching it together, to be honest with you. I think so. Yeah. I think so. And I, I, I just started working with off-the-ball and I think Adrian Barry was a little bit concerned about who this kid was who was like getting overly <laughs> emotional about the thing that was happening on television. Just a complete, absolute mess as this thing was unfolding because you go through this period where you're like, okay, it's done. I don't care anymore. They've beaten us. They're like, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then yeah. they try you back in with the goal and it's like oh my god and they as you heard in the commentary there I don't know who off the outside of the post to go and win it ah it was it was just absolutely extraordinary and like there, there have definitely been moments where that have been like that since but it's just in its totality the two games mm. it's very very hard to think of back-to-back games that kind of put you through the ringer as a supporter in the exact same way and I've even put like the 19 finals right up there like maybe Mayo people would say the 16 finals is something that would, would be on a par with 14 because they, they were so unbelievably dramatic as well but yeah no it's just incredible uh, it just, it just on the hurling point I th- I'm pretty sure that well I'm very sure it was the summer of the Tip Galway Classic in Semple Stadium and I think that might have been the the temperature setter that summer because I just remember it being a World Cup summer there was World Cup games on around that time and you had Tip Galway Seamus Callum with three goals as like the high watermark and everybody was raving about hurling so yeah so the Callanan game I remember when Gal- was when Galway won and Callanan had the, the the amazing performance that was 2015 in Crow Park now maybe there was this one in Central Stadium as well that I'm missing I, like I remember there was a Galway and Kilkenny uh, during the World Cup had a draw and there was the whole, uh, you know, oh, Nick, stick your World Cup, we have hurling kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, nonsense yeah. on Twitter. And then the replay wasn't even on TV, had to listen to it on radio. Um, but yeah, I, I I just don't have a full full recollection of it. I was at the All-Ireland Final, all right, um, and that was a game for the ages. But again, must be reminded that it came after this. Yeah, so. you, you mentioned, obviously, that uh, that we had everything spaced out as a, as a quote-unquote normal championship uh, summer should be. Uh, but we did have one blip in the middle of the championship summer because you know after the game the final whistle blows Marty Morrissey says thank God we've got a replay because 70 more minutes of that is going to be mouth-watering stuff and who'd say no to it um, but there was a slight issue because there was an American football match booked for Crow Park for the first time in 1996 and it plunked right in the middle of the sharp end of the championship Penn State and the University of Central Florida were coming to town much to the chagrin of one James Brolly or Joe Brolly Joe Brolly I mean just picking up on the point about Limerick I mean it is a terrible shame that the Gales of Ireland who won this ground I mean it's us we're, it's the people of Ireland the Gales who won this ground can't come here next week to watch another All-Ireland semi-final it's our ground instead there's American football being played here and sooner or later 
the pursuit of money is going to have to give way to communitarian ideals, which are what the GA is supposed to be founded on. And I mean, we've been just on that point yeah. going down a very, very worrying path indeed. Ah, I yeah, mean, yeah, sooner, sure, sooner sure. or later, you no, know, we're no. going to have to make a decision about this. I are we a community it. organisation owned by the people of listen, Ireland? Listen, or, are we, or are we going to just you know, sell ourselves as well as I do, This is a very expensive venue to run. Somebody has to pay these well, people. You know, so, listen, you know, this, 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 this place, no, this place was, was paid off over 10 years ago. We've always been able to run our affairs. There'd be no problem. Put the game on on the day before the hurling final. The American football is on next Saturday, and Dublin and Donegal are playing American on Sunday. Football. What would be the difference? That's, that's only two weeks before the All Ireland, so that's not that, going to be any, no, any either. But two weeks um, is actually Joe. ideal in preparation talk, terms. Yeah. Let's talk football. Let's talk football. Uh, but we didn't for pretty much a week because this thing of where this game was going to be played, it was like this hadn't occurred to anybody until the last couple of minutes of normal time uh, at Crow Park on the 22nd of August that they went. Jesus, do you know what we could actually do because it's almost like when there's one I think it was uh, Brian Sheehan had a, had a free kick uh, in towards like in the last kick of the game literally and David Coldrick literally waits for the ball to drop and then blows his final whistle he's like alright that's it yeah. and they kind of go draw brilliant no we can't no mm, Christ we need to get this done because Croker wasn't available Marty mentioned it on commentary I like laid on you know when he kind of like they, they sort of have that realisation that this is a close game and about 65 minutes say you know if it's a, if it's a draw to replay in Limerick I was surprised to hear that watching it back because mm. in my opinion this had come later and it was a, a, a compromise but they had a plan and nobody obviously cared about it because nobody ever thinks a GEA game is going to actually be a draw and, and then suddenly it's Limerick and it's chaos and it's why are we giving away our stadium in the middle of the year and so on and, and like it just became this it became like I, I was like own away on the weekend of the replay um, in Liverpool but it just I felt like I was just leaving behind a civil war it was just yeah. like there was so much conversation about whether this game should even go ahead in Limerick or whether they should rearrange it and whether Mayo wouldn't play like was there there was a discussion at that at one point I'm sure um, I don't know how serious it ever was but they were definitely there was definitely anger uh, from the teams as well uh, uh, certainly from the Mayo side that this game was on in Limerick and not in Crow Park oh, Do you remember the Ferrari? Well, I, I remember from kind of like the outset Horan had said that it was bizarre five o'clock throw in, in Limerick and I think that kind of set the tone a little bit that, that James Horan found it a little bit unusual and again it kind of got legs and, and it ran and people like Colm O'Rourke there in the clip wondered why it couldn't be played a week later and that was because they had to keep a vacant window for Dublin versus Donegal uh, and a replay there and then people were like well why can't they move Dublin Donegal if it's a replay to Limerick instead and it kind of like circled back to this whole notion of Dublin being in Crow Park but there's a <laughs> hole in the bucket too like, so. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah that like it was it, I, I think then uh, there, there was kind of this, this, this realisation that maybe the Gaelic Grounds wasn't an overly advantageous position for Kerry yes they played there more than than Mayo but like I, I think it wasn't Fitzgerald Stadium it wasn't McHale Park I, I think that people really kind of rightly got over it early in the week and I mean that by people who were inside in the camps people who were involved with the teams like the, this whole idea that the game was not going to be played that, that evening in, in the Gaelic grounds I, I think that kind of felt like background noise and it certainly feels like background noise now when you look back at the game and how amazing it was and how it didn't really make a difference and in fact it actually just completely added to the occasion yeah. where if you're having a conversation now everybody's like well why don't we repeat this why don't we actually bring you know um, two of these teams like Kerry and Mayo this weekend to, to Limerick uh, like we did in 2014 because it was completely full and it was 
buzzing. And if you watch back the first game, which in my memory was 82,000 people going absolutely mental, was the top tiers of the uh, Hogan, Cusick and Davin were all closed and the hill was the usual kind of middle bit behind the goals had people in it and the sides were completely empty and you're like really oh. good atmosphere for the first game it has to be said oh, like really good well, the, there's nothing wrong with that at Crow Park when it has the bottom the bottom uh, tiers completely full is still brilliant and, and people in the hill but I'm just saying there was a not like there wasn't necessarily any more people in or any more people in Crow Park than there was in Limerick mm. the following week mm. but the, like that, if there was. that vista of like a, a, a full county ground like the Gaelic grounds is bursting at the seams pretty much save for a corner over as you're looking on the camera over towards the far left where there's a floodlight essentially plunked down in front of everything and you kind of had to sp- uh, spray out and not stand behind that because you're not going not gonna to see anything but the place is full and the difference that that makes in terms of atmosphere to have a full ground is just incredible it's like it, it really lends to the sense of occasion for the game even if there was this feeling that you know that, well this should be in Crow Park and this belongs in Crow Park etc etc but that, that atmosphere can't really be replicated because it was it was electric yeah like it was just something totally unique and like uh, I know that the Super 8s afforded the GEA the opportunity to try and replicate this in a, in a couple of instances and, and they did it really well like when they played against each other in 2019 Killarney that weekend was absolutely sensational and if that game was in Croke Park if those Super 8s games were all in Croke Park they would have been crap or the atmosphere would have been crap at least and like it just, it just created this completely unique thing and I even think when you look back at the games even though it was the exact same crowd not the exact same but a fairly similar crowd in both of those games even watching it on YouTube you can see just a totally different energy to it and I, I think that this at uh, the second game the exha- the exhaustion of the players was as much down to the pure emotion that they were kind of giving off as a result of the crowd as it was to do with the playing two games in two weeks because they were spent and like you see James O'Donoghue like kissing his badge and all that after he scores a penalty in the second game like stuff that you just don't really see all too often on a on a GEA pitch you obviously have uh, very infamous pitch invaders here and there it was chaotic it was just total mayhem that that second week in Limerick and it was just an unforgettable occasion no matter where you were watching it from or, or what, how you consumed it yeah um, it was another cracker obviously uh, the, the following Saturday as you mentioned there was six goals and another equaliser in the last minute of injury time and this time uh, it came from Mayo referee will give them a chance Cormac Riley looking at his watch three minutes time added on but Mayo have about a minute and a half to get an equaliser and force extra time. Donald Vaughan, Michael Conroy says, leave it to me. Conroy, gone through as Donald Vaughan. He scored in the past. This is the most important kick of his career. Or fisted pass. It's over the bar. Mayo are carrier level again. Who could have predicted a finish like this again? It's seldom you get them two in a row. What a score. What composure from Mayo. Yeah, Gaelic Football and Off the Ball in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the GEA Senior Football Championship. Check out hashtag the toughest for more. We're talking about the 2014 All-Ireland Football semi-final and indeed the replays you heard there between Mayo and Kerry down at the Gaelic grounds in Limerick. Mick, we were watching it back earlier on. It was definitely a more, I'm not going to say slower, but a more deliberate pace of a game because there was a sense that that second half, particularly at Crow Park, was a bit wild and woolly and there wasn't necessarily a need to repeat that because if you do repeat that you're going to leave yourself open you're going to get hurt at some stage and there was a bit more caution despite the high scoring nature of the game. the six goals yeah. that's what I was saying it, it's like it was a game that was far more filled with incident but for me with slightly less quality and certainly less pace 
you know, it was just the, the, the Crow Park game was go, 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 go. And I think it just added to the drama. Whereas what we got was a packed ground. We got loads of goals and we got a different type of drama, obviously, <laughs> later on. We got extra time and, you know, we got another close, intense game, which I think makes it in some ways, I think, for people more memorable. But even watching back again today, I stand by the thing I always said, which I do think the first game was better. Yeah. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm ranking a pantheon of Gaelic football games that are my personal favourite, I would have the first one on it and I would have the second one a good bit down the list, to be honest, you know. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It was noticeable that, like, it, it backed up my opinion, but I don't think I ever have a, a specific reason as to why until today, you know. And it's like, yeah, because... Do you know what? It just wasn't... It, it was as dramatic, but it wasn't as high quality. Yeah, Donahue's impact, of course, in the first game meant that he started in the second. Owen, you probably had a, an interesting way of watching this that weekend. Yeah, it was the unpublic out of tent at Electric Picnic, which is kind of the go-to place to watch any GEA, obviously. I think the the idea in there, if I'm not mistaken, is is a commentary karaoke Oscar and everybody eventually is like, "Jesus, will you put that away? Will you turn up the actual commentary there after about five <laughs> seconds of the game? People are Wait, hold on. want to hear what's actually." Hold on. So, I, so it's the Irish tent, obviously. I think it's in Minefield, yeah. isn't it? Down at Irish Picnic, as you as you might remember it if you've been there. But people get up and and do commentary karaoke. I recall somebody saying to me once that that is the intention, and that is how you know they get away with. I guess just rolling in like you were in second class in school, rolling into the big TV on wheels into the front of the tent and, and watching the game. Out. I think that, you know, it has to be some sort of cultural artifact or, you know, uh, some sort of uh, performance, if you if you want to say that. And I think that's maybe how they get away with the loophole of showing a match in there, because at previous electric picnics, you would have struggled to find a match anywhere and people would have said, you have to go to Strad Valley to watch it. Yeah. Whereas the more the EPs went by, this tent got more and more popular. And But I remember in 2014, myself and my friends were um, four of us there maybe and we were the only carry people in this tent and I mean everybody else in it in a big enough tent were from Mayo it was very very intimidating and it was like it, it was just absolutely exhausting like you're you're drinking all day you're going through this sort of roller coaster for 100 minutes or whatever it is it's not good for you whatsoever it was just an absolutely incredible game and also it feels like at one point that you're like hallucinating because Jonathan Lyon is coming off the bench kicking Jonathan these amazing points for Kerry it's like what the hell is going on here? Jonathan Knight's going to keep Kerry, kick Kerry into an All-Ireland final. What is happening at this particular festival? So strange things happen. Strange things happen for, for Mayo as well. Conroy coming off the bench for them. And all, like he played really, really well that day he as did, well. Yeah. It, it was always going to be a situation, and maybe we didn't realise it at the time, but it was always going to be a situation that it was like your number 20, your number 21 on the panel was going to have so much power to take this game by the scruff of the neck if they could do it. And those two lads in particular did it. And, and Lyon... Um, was just sensational late on. Like, I mean, he may not go down as one of the most uh, remembered carry players of all time, but Jesus, he won he won twenty fourteen in Limerick for them. Yeah, you could even say the same for like Kieran O'Leary in, in the because he had yeah. a crucial points obviously uh, late on in yeah. the equalising points in the first game and came on again. I think in the second and like I'm, I'm playing a shift as they'd say yeah. played really well. I think he ended up lifting Sam that year, didn't he? Him and was it him and Fionn Fitzgerald yeah. together? Uh, I think shared it. It was was it yeah. supposed to be Gooch's year as captain, maybe. Um, yeah, it was, was in the yeah, yeah. Crooks, obviously. So um, it was it was supposed to be Gooch. Gooch came onto the pitch right at, at full time in the final. But yeah, Kieran O'Leary, like another kind of cult hero that um, kind of cemented his place with the the, the um, kick to equalise in the first game. Uh, so himself, Jonathan Lyon, and then yeah, you're right, the, the two Crooks boys on the Hogan stand lifting the cup, and like Fionn Fitzgerald and Kieran O'Leary, as I say, won't necessarily go down as like the, the greatest carry players of all time, but. Geez, they'll be forever remembered and they were captains of an All-Ireland winning team and I think that's why 14 is 
I just like it's such a warm year for Kerry fans because not that they were total underdogs or anything because they're Kerry, but like with the Gooch injury and with the sense of transition and some of the players that played key points, it's kind of like wow, you you really really had to work for that and you to a certain degree they they overachieved by winning that All Ireland. I'm not sure if Owen's uh, uh, experience as a non-neutral <laughs> in Electric Picnic, uh, you know, I think that obviously completely outweighs my fairly odd experience of following this game, which was in Goodison Park for uh, an evening kickoff between uh, Everton 3, Chelsea 6. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable game to be at. But uh, <laughs> at the same time, we were on a stag and there was like eight or nine of us in a row. And the only people who had much interest in what was happening in the football were me on one end and uh, my friend John, whose stag it actually was, on the very far end. So me and him are just shouting at each other, trying to check scores, trying to get to 3G as it probably was back then, yeah. enough and, and oh, horrendous amount of data that we had to spend, <laughs> you know, terrible bills that <laughs> month, shouting at It's like, Kerry got another goal. And actually, I've obviously watched the match, I've watched the match like the day after or whatever and, and, and I've seen it maybe a couple of times since, but the my memory of it and we're talking about earlier about like it was more incident filled than quality is it was chaotic because honestly it was like every five minutes we were shouting at each other that so and so had scored like there was six goals scored quite early on even in that game I think by the 50th minute or something there had been six goals scored and it was just very very confusing in a kind of a stag drink fueled watching another game as you're speaking shouting over eight people on bad bad internet <laughs> it was very confusing and difficult to keep up with what was happening and that was before we even got to the the mayo mick of it all try following that on bad internet <laughs> <Yeah>. from <laughs> from a different country uh, as as would be you know the case with with a lot of history uh, meet people get to find themselves in the center of it while not necessarily being the subject of it uh, david coldrick was obviously the referee in the first match uh, cormac riley was the man on the whistle for the second and found himself involved obviously in a, a number of hairy decisions there was essentially um, it was a penalty shout was it laid on there, or it was a free kick uh, David Moran well I, David Moran uh, took down was it Killian O'Connor uh, Don Vaughan maybe that was the instigator of the entire mess and, but like not that it would have mattered at this stage because it was so late in the game there's only a minute left but how David Moran didn't get a black card for that incident essentially is, grabs him by the round that, like it's a high challenge in rugby probably should have been a red card it's, yeah. a, it's a same binning in rugby uh, even in the old money yeah. because he has his arms around his neck and he drags him towards the ground and uh, we, we get uh, what we get subsequently, but this is this is a point really where it all it all kicks off properly, isn't it? Just yeah, and just before we get to that, the, the, let's let's lead into why maybe so carry are three points up. It's deep in injury time. Yeah. It's no, it's about to hit injury time and extra time, which obviously there isn't too much of, and it looks like it's gone. Mayo are desperately trying to find a goal. I do have to say though, I always thought, oh, that's a moment of madness. Mania took over, and that's what happened. Watching it today, and maybe not watching all 90 minutes, but just checking in and out with good bursts, I felt that Mayo were a little bit hard done by by the referee throughout the game. Now, I am someone that tends to think that about <laughs> matches. Now, do you see? The- <laughs> but I don't know if you'd agree, Owen. Like, like obviously, it's hard to think. You obviously you could point to four frees that Kerry didn't get or whatever. But in a general sense, it feel it felt like Kerry were getting the 50-50s. That, that felt like the consensus afterwards. And I think the first uh, O'Donoghue penalty isn't a penalty, really, is it? I, I think the second one is uh, where yeah. he gets to kind of where he, where he goes kind of upside down in the end. And like, I, I don't think the first I was one watching was that one back today and I, I, I would have cited that that wasn't necessarily a penalty either. Because I think For, yeah. uh, it was a chair Caffrey going back. I think he gets enough on the ball to suggest yeah. that, you know, and, and there isn't really conclusive replays that show 
that O'Donoghue made massive contact with him. So yeah, to yeah, call that a penalty that straight case. away was 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 a big call uh, from Riley. It has to be said, but obviously it kind of led towards the uh, the the level of ill feeling amongst Mayo supporters <laughs> that would have bubbled over and maybe uh, spewed out from the fences over the barricades and out onto the pitch, which we forget about started off with a bit of a mill between the players and the Mirafornia for Mayo, who was uh, flapping his jaw at David Moore and obviously chagrined at the, the, the penalty incident itself, but was proper at the free kick incident, I should say, itself, uh, but was really involved, had the jersey pulled off him. And then we get the introduction of Mayo Mick. Tempers becoming frayed. This is ugly and indeed unnecessary because since five o'clock this has been played in a very sporting manner. And the referee, Cormac Riley, really has to take control here because what was simple shoving and pushing has now turned into an all-out brawl, which is unsavoury and doesn't in any way reflect the sporting game that we had last Sunday and indeed as well here. There's an official involved here as well. Mir Furnas is in the middle of it. No, this, is, this is very messy stuff, Marty. We can do without this. And yeah, it has been a very sporting game and Ferns, both teams, due credit to them. We now have uh, a little crowd control issue because we have a fan that needs to get off the pitch. And more uh, supporters need to be escorted off the field. And it's certainly a pity it's finished like this. There's, there's a big man making his way onto the pitch. He's taking a few to hold him back and he's not happy. Crowd are not happy, very unsavoury incidents. And reinforcements, reinforcement being called for. <laughs> I don't think this can be called any better, actually. I know uh, Tommy Carr and, uh, and Marty did their best there. Uh, but Weishi Fogarty was on the mic, uh, part of the commentary team for Radio Kerry for this game. And to say that he had the best call of it is to put it mildly. Take it away, Weishi. O'Sullivan is going in, he's shaking the two palms down to the ground, that would mean lads, he's saying, calm it down, calm it down, Kerry, we are in, stewards now, we she yeah, are so pulling off the spectator. A, a spectator after coming in, a spectator and oh, that's four crazy stuff, that's crazy stuff, yeah. You don't want to see that, like, and I tell you, he's taken five, one, two, three, four stewards to hold him. <laughs> he's a strong back. man, isn't he? He's a strong <laughs> man, he's taken four stewards to hold him back and he's gone back out of the line. If the barrier knocked at everything... <laughs> He has sent super value into orbit with one kick of the right boot. 49-year-old builder Mick Barrett certainly made a name for himself that afternoon and his daughter as well telling him, Dad, Dad, would you get off the pitch? Looking that back at it, right, it takes an initial three stewards to get to him. Uh, they're then joined by another two who managed to somehow get him off the pitch despite his real resistance at going over the sideline. And then it's followed from behind the goal, three more stewards have to come over and deal with Mayo Mick as he became known on that particular evening Owen um, if you felt like you were hallucinating watching Jonathan Lyon help you win an All-Ireland semi-final I don't know what you thought watching this lad getting onto the pitch Oh this was this was absolutely extraordinary like uh, I mean it's, it's one of those moments where at the time you're like is this uh, a funny thing or is this something that you know actually exemplifies a serious problem of of the GEA and I remember John Green wrote a piece at the time who was uh, saying that like uh, an Australian spectator who was near him in the ground was pretty confused when Mayo Mick was not ejected from the ground but was told to sit back down in the seat <laughs> at the front of uh, the stand in the Gaelic ground which is uh, a very good observation and maybe they kind of uh, uh, show how we do have a bit of a problematic relationship with those who invade the 
pitch in GEA. But like, I, I was also quite fond of how uh, the independent tracked him down afterwards and they asked him you know what were you doing and he said i wanted to ask the referee what he was at that's all i wanted to know which i did ask him when i got close to him i asked him what he was at but he didn't answer he wouldn't say anything more and then uh, he says that the security guards brought him back to the stand and he said he had no problem with how he was treated following his intervention they were just doing their job he said and in the last line of uh, the independent pieces he said he received a big reception in Supermax after the game, but dismissed his newfound fame and vowed he would remain in the seat in the future. So uh, <laughs> I'm not quite sure, but that, that, that Supermax, apparently, apparently people were like lining up for selfies with Mayo Mick uh, in the Supermax afterwards. He'd become uh, an immediate celebrity afterwards, which again, maybe it's, maybe we were all completely messed up uh, and the, the whole organization is messed up that I find it very, very funny. Uh, but uh, that my initial response is just that it, that was a hilarious moment. I think I bolted at half time. I think my shift was done in here at half time in the uh, in the replay and I was gone. I just basically had to get home. Mm. And I think I got home just in time for Mick to do his thing on the sideline. Oh, wow. OK, yeah. <laughs> No, I completely agree with Owen. I don't think there's anybody who doesn't find it funny. I mean, he wasn't violent. He shouldn't have been on the pitch. And obviously it's not like ideal and you don't want players put in that position. But given the hindsight of eight years, I don't think there's anything that uh, that could be described (laughs) as anything but funny. Two things I noticed, though. And again, there's there's a beauty in watching this back eight years later and, and, and seeing things that you never saw before. Long before Mayo Mick goes anywhere near the pitch, and I mean, Owen mentioned this uh, to each other earlier. Another fan sneaks on the pitch, throws a dig, nothing too violent or anything like that, but there's definitely physical contact, which uh, Mayo Mick never got anywhere near, and is never even mentioned anywhere. I like Marty's kind of alluding to it there on the on Mm. on the clip we just played, but never mentioned again. Never (laughs) remembered. He jumps in while the while the Mayor Ferna and Andy and uh, David Moran are going at it, and then. There's another bit later on when after the match there's a kind of a pitch invasion mainly from Kerry fans but there's a few angry Mayo fans as well and one guy has just completely lost it but a Garda runs like sprints from about 30 <laughs> yards away and just go, looks at your man and just pushes him this is a very wide shot you can just yeah. see it in the corner and just pushes him with two hands straight in the chest and absolutely floors your man mm. one of his and then walks on doesn't do anything ignores the fact that this guy had done whatever he'd done and just moves on there was about four, three or four guards heading over towards the sideline towards where the managers were I think to try and probably get the referee offered to protect the managers one or the other and one of the guards kind of I think falls I think he stumbles or he falls and I don't know if there's some that person is involved in it but certainly the other guard comes over to him sees this guy near his colleague who's fallen and thinks he must have done that I am going to <laughs> shove him to the ground and teach him a lesson and then do nothing more about it it was a real like Brian Clough moment of just leave just him alone first yeah, walk yeah. away and then move on but we, look, we can't lose the fact that like Mayo did have the chance uh, Killian O'Connor had that free obviously as a result of the, the Mayo Mickey incident the David Moore and bringing down a uh, player incident um, Killian O'Connor had that free which he tried to drill through uh, just a forest of defenders and his own players has to be said as well and it got blocked down uh, but then won a free kick with like literally fumes left in the game and manages to make a hames of things because he uh, he lashes out almost immediately after winning that free kick yeah and gets sent off and like another another three or four minutes pass by of chaos nobody invades the pitch this time but yeah O'Connor like they, they win this free it's it's look it's a low low percentage but they got another chance it was like chance, on the yeah. 20 metre line right in front of the goal they might have been able to manoeuvre something O'Connor in his kind of frustration 
at the end of the game when a Kerry guy get, takes the ball off and like throws a kick I actually didn't remember he'd been sent off and I said to you when yeah. we were watching I go Jesus that should have been a red card not <laughs> even knowing that it had happened and then the ref throws the ball in of course Kerry win it and the game's over but yeah like I mean I don't think it changes the outcome I don't think it's very very likely that but when you think of Kitty and O'Connor like has the 2013 All-Ireland Final has the ball in his hand two points down thinks that there's time uh, to kick the point and win the ball back doesn't you know and is left with that has his chance in the 2014 replay and then gets another chance and doesn't get to take that either you know it, it's kind of a remarkable little coincidence I suppose that that, that, that happened to him in yeah. two of the biggest matches of his career it was almost a weird kind of way to end the game killing O'Connor lashing out in the way that he did getting a red card and then the game always peters out uh, towards a finish but I'd say those three or four people that were surrounded by Mayo heads in the uh, the Gaelgore tents down the minefield were pretty happy on. Yeah, it was. I I pretty sure there was literal tears at that point, just because it was like <laughs> so exhausting. It was like absolutely incredible. But that that end game was was interesting as well. I think maybe did, did Kerry have something that Mayo didn't at that point, which was just a bit of an edge. The the sort of the the kind of dogs of war who knew what to do. And I'm sure when it came to that brawl that Mayo Mick tried to intervene on, I'm sure Kerry had every everything to do with starting that I mean like why would Mayo start something when they were three points down and maybe the same goes again for like trying to wind Killian up at the end and um, I think maybe that's kind of what counted in the end when Kerry actually got over the line to win that All-Ireland was they had that extra edge potentially and yeah. you could say maybe the tables turned on that as the years went by and maybe Mayo found that and Kerry lost it a little bit as the, mm. the years as the years passed but yeah it, it, like I, I noticed what Mick said there earlier on as well that there was another fan on before Mick and I don't know what county he was from but you could, I think it was like a, a yellow trim on the tracksuit bottoms that you could see. So potentially a Kerry fan, not sure. And then, of course, at the Garda thing, uh, at the full-time whistle, like if that doesn't happen, I mean, is the referee getting attacked at full-time? Is it like, is that where the fan was running towards? Like, I mean, yeah. that would have been like, that would, people would rightfully have been up in arms about that and like questioning like the, the grim uh, nature of it all. And that would have circled back properly to the whole Gaelic ground situation people would have been like well he wouldn't have got this in Crow Park there wouldn't have been a, a pitch invasion in Crow Park so there's this like big administrative sliding doors situation which we won't get into today that uh, could have happened if it wasn't for that Garda uh, protecting the, the officials yeah they win three weeks later against Donegal mm. and they kind of a not a great game I was at that match and don't don't remember it being as bad as I. I feel like TV decided that was a bad game afterwards. But anyway, that's a. That's and your a, comparison is the last possibly, the yeah, yeah, and how good yeah. the Donegal Dublin game was in its yeah. own way as well, maybe. But again, I do think it's slightly underrated. I thought there was a lot of excitement in it, but when you think of what we talked about, that Pat Spillane clip, all the retirements, Gooch being out, and the fact that these Mayo matches were so mad, it must be one of the most satisfying All Irelands for a Kerry fan. The most, without question. Absolutely yeah. no question about it. I, I I think it would have been interesting had they got over the line in 2019 to stop the five in a row. Yeah. That's the only thing that might have come close. But nothing comes close to 14. Again, I'll come back. It's Kerry. You can't really say that they were underdogs. And, like, I mean, I, I think maybe at, at the time I was probably overstating, you know, the, the uh, achievement of Fitzmaurice that year. And people were winding me up for getting a little bit OTT that, that night in particular after Kerry won the All-Ireland. But I still think it was genuinely a, a, a phenomenal achievement that year to, to get over the line. People will say Donegal did, did them a favour in the semi-final. I think that Kerry team were pretty confident though, that whoever they got in that final they were prepared to beat. But I, I guess they, they would say that anyway. But satisfaction-wise, absolutely right up there um, in, in my lifetime anyway is number one. Yeah, I think like even when we were going through it today out in the office, there was a sense of, oh, and then this happened. Oh, and then this happened. Oh, do you remember this? Do you remember that? Like yeah. it was 
there was so much packed into so those many two layers. Games, yeah. yeah, over what is it, a hundred and sixty minutes plus injury Stoppages, time. Yeah. <laughs> plus stoppages. Absolutely like if we get an ounce of what we got over those uh, hundred and sixty odd minutes um on Sunday, I think we'll be pretty happy chappies. Your heart probably won't be the better of it on, uh, let's be quite honest with you, by the time you arrive back in on Monday morning. Uh, but that's for you to worry about, not us. So uh yeah. hopefully you enjoy the game as best you can. I presume you're going on Sunday, are you? Absolutely, we'll be there this time. Um, what it's going to be close to close to eighty thousand, I presume, given the way ticket sales are going. The, the one thing I would say is that the only thing we're missing, and this goes for for all the teams competing this weekend, is we're, we're missing a penalty shootout. And I think we could edge towards <laughs> uh, maybe one of these games being decided in a, in a way that we haven't spoken about in the past. A penalty shootout down the Gaelic grounds. I think that's yeah. The, and in eight years' seven. time, we'll reconvene, lads. Yeah. And talk about uh, the the penalty shootout day of twenty two. This is our disco two thousand, and thank you so much for joining in and being part of it, Will. Oh, we'll let you go. Thanks so much. Cheers, guys. Mick, here's to another hundred and sixty minutes of brilliance of the weekend. Absolutely, yeah. Gaelic football on off the ball with AIB proud sponsors of the GAA Senior Football Championship check out hashtag the toughest for more